I just have to make a quick comment about Psalm 57. Thanks to Danny for putting that in here. He did the order of worship this week. As a pastor, a lot of times I'm giving to you in, in worship, but it's, it is a delight to let one of the other elders do the worship leading and to be able to sit down there and, and really you know be fed. And so, Dan, thank you to that as well. But in Psalm 57, two things that struck me. Sometimes the Psalter has uh, terminology and po- poetry that's hard to understand, but in this particular time, it just it's like just grabbed my heart. Um, uh, he says in verse 2, To him I will in trouble cry, the sovereign judge and God most high, who wonders hath for me begun and will not leave his work undone. Now you think about that. He's, he's doing a wondrous work in you, and he will not leave it undone. What a cool thought. And then the, the next one, because who is opposing you in the work? The evil one, right? You can think of Satan, my, my own sinful flesh, the world, whatever. But it says in verse 3, For he from heaven shall quell the power of him who would my life devour. Wow, pretty awesome words there. He will be able to crush our enemy. So, amen. We're in Genesis chapter 21, 22 through 34. I I wrestled with the title of this, and so uh, in the bulletin is Beersheba and our everlasting God. I, I now change that to the everlasting God is not a quick fix. So um, you can do whatever you want on the titles. I don't put a lot of merit on those anyway. But um, of all the names, I guess I should turn that on. There, now I'm on. Uh, Of all the names of God, the one that does not come to mind is the God of the quick fix. God never advertises himself this way. Come to me and I will fix your problems faster and easier than all of the other gods. I am unmatched in speed and efficiency. Trust in me. Watch your problems melt away in three short weeks or your money back guaranteed. We all want solutions. We want answers and we want fast fixes. But our God is not the God of the quick fix. Instead, our God reveals himself and his solution slowly, over generations. He is the God who takes oaths and then fulfills them over thousands of years. He is the everlasting God, and he is the God who will not renege on any of his promises. It will not be the quick fix that you desire. In fact, it will make you frustrated many times in your life. But I guarantee you the result is good. Very good. As Christians, we must train ourselves to think of God as our everlasting hope. Even though he doesn't give us a quick fix, neither are his solutions short-lived. They endure. Let's go ahead and read the text, chapter 21, verses 22 through 34. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, 
God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abram set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. If you only knew after studying this all week long, like when I read that text for you guys, it, it's like like little sparks are just firing on everything because I've spent all that time reading it. So it's just, it's really fun. So um, hopefully, maybe I should do it like, like Dan did today and put the Lord's, like flip it and that might help a little bit. So I should read the scripture after studying it and then anyway, <laughs> might have more pistons firing. Uh, this section of scripture is wedged between Isaac being born and Isaac almost being sacrificed. Those are like big events. If you're thinking about the life of Abraham, Isaac's birth, and God calling him to sacrifice Isaac are like huge deals. When considered in light of those two big moments in, life, in Abraham's life, this second encounter with Abimelech does not seem that important. But God must think it's important because he puts it in there, right? Uh, I would just say right off the bat, we have these monumental moments in life, but God is just as much working in the in-between times of your life as he is in the big moments. He's working in the common events to fulfill his everlasting purposes. The opening phrase says, at that time, and that certainly connects the story with what came before. And you might think what happened immediately in chapter 21, but also what happened in chapter 20. Because in chapter 20, the last time that Abraham interacted with Abimelech, he deceived Abimelech. He lied to him. Okay, And at that time, Abimelech was way more powerful than Abraham. Abraham was afraid for his own life. And so he was willing to sacrifice even his own wife on the altar of safety. He was so afraid. He was faithless. He was deceitful. Those, those were the things that we remember from this last encounter. Now, in that event, we saw that God intervened. And even though God intervenes and protects Sarah, the foundations of distrust 
between Abraham and Abimelech had been established right there. Um, And so here in this story, we see a very different Abraham. Rather than a fearful deceiver, Abraham is a man who makes an oath and keeps an oath to Abimelech. Even more immediately in chapter 21, this is just all context to help you understand what's going on. In chapter 21, God has just told Abraham to send away Ishmael. Ishmael gets zero inheritance. He sends him away with bread and water. Essentially, Abraham has no ongoing obligation to Ishmael from that point on. Now, we are told some things about Ishmael. God does take care of him. We are also told that Ishmael comes to Abraham's funeral, which is pretty impressive. And then we're also told that when Ishmael dies, it's told to us in Scripture when he dies, and later on down the road when Joseph is actually interacting with people, he will be interacting with some Ishmaelites. So those kind of things are happening. He's not completely out of the story, but Ishmael does not have any pull on Abraham. He just sends him away, cuts off all ties to him. And that, I think, is important to know because at the same time that he is sending away his own son, and we looked at the reasons for that last week, uh, he is in, engaging in a covenant bond with, an, with a non-believer. That's a, that's a pretty radical difference between those two things. So there's an ongoing obligation that he will have to Abimelech and their descendants after them because of this covenant. Um, Now, we have been mostly, up to this time, been focused on the birth of Isaac. That has been the focal point of the promise to Abraham. But now that Isaac's born, we we begin to step back and we begin to see the other aspects of the promises that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. If you know there, in Genesis 12, it says that God was going to make Abraham into a great nation. That was a promise that God gave to him. Also said that he was going to bless Abraham. And he also says in that Genesis 12 that if if another nation seeks to be kind and gracious to Abraham, that nation would receive blessing. So all those kind of things are going on in that initial Abrahamic promise. We just have been so focused on the birth of Isaac that we've kind of forgotten those other ones for a while. But now they're coming back into us. So if you think about this, in our passage today, Abimelech is going to recognize that God is making Abraham strong. Okay? And might we even say, at least the beginnings of a great nation. Secondly, Abimelech is going to recognize that this greatness of Abraham is coming to him because God is with him to bless him. So he recognizes that. Abraham doesn't have to recognize that. Abimelech recognizes that. And then thirdly, we see through this covenant relationship that occurs that unbelieving nations may in some way experience blessing because of their kindness towards God's people. Okay, those are the things that we see happening, which really is a a way of telling us that God is fulfilling 
his promises to Abraham. Not just the child, he's got all these other things, he's moving the promises forward, but he is moving at like less than one half of one mile per hour, right? I mean, this is like slow moving. It's not like, wow, Abraham woke up and he's a great nation and there he is. It's this slow moving process that we see happening. Also, just as uh, this will prepare you for our next sermon, I do believe that this passage sets us up for chapter 22, where God will uh, command Abraham to even sacrifice Isaac. And I say that because, because if, you, if you start out the promise occurs and you don't have anything, you're just looking forward to God start giving you the promise. But if God tangibly brings blessing into your life, the number one question will be, do you love the blessing more than you love God? And that's really what God's setting up. So the more that God gives to Abraham, the the easier it will be for Abraham to become attached to the blessing rather than be attached to God. And that's what this whole story is for the next one. But that's for our next sermon. You have to wait a couple weeks too because I'm going to Pennsylvania. So uh, that's what we'll pick up next time. So let's look then at verse 22 and kind of walk through this text. Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, as they approach Abraham, it's significant that the commander of the army is brought with him. This is a show of strength, a show of force. He's trying to impress Abraham that he is really a strong king. Because he's already recognizing that Abraham is growing himself in strength. And so, rather than just a helpless wanderer, Abraham is himself becoming strong. The last time that he was with Abraham, Abraham was a deceitful liar. So now he's afraid that as Abraham gets stronger, he's going to deceive him, he's going to lie to him, he's going to be a threat to his own power. And so he wants to make a treaty with him right off the bat. But it's interesting, I think through the encounter last time, where God comes to Abimelech in a dream, uh, Abimelech recognizes that Abraham's rise to power has less to do with himself and more to do with his connection to God. And so he says, God is with you in all that you do. Now, this is a profound statement. It's actually the only time this statement is made in all of Scripture. In its, you know, God is with you in all that you do. But, If you drop the in all that you do, and you just think about God is with you, this is a profound statement. It is actually fundamental to the relationship with God. And every one of us here today should actually be thinking to the fact of this. Is God with me? Or is he against me? That's the fundamental question. Because if God is with you, it has great implications. If God is against you, terrible implications, right? So here we are. Watch this thread through Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, the Israelites are going to enter the promised land under Joshua. Listen to what the text reads. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. 
Joshua, the more famous statement in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The prophet Samuel, uh, when he is uh, speaking to David, he says, David, do whatever your hand finds to do. Why? God is with you. David, wanting to pass on the throne to his son Solomon, he says, well, what is the most important thing I can give to my son? Well, then David said to Solomon, this is 1 Chronicles 28, his son, be strong and courageous. Well, we've heard that before. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Later on, in the darkest point of Israel's history, in the exile, after they've been cast out of the land, and you would think that everything is done, God has forever rejected his people, Zechariah starts speaking the very opposite to them. He says, you're sitting in exile, don't worry about that, because the Lord of hosts says, in those days, speaking of the time when God would fulfill his promises, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now you think about that. This statement at the beginning that Abimelech is recognizing, when we get to the final culmination, people are going to say of God's people, let us go be with them because God is with them. That is the ongoing principle. Why is this? Because he is the everlasting God. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. His promises are enduring. And is it not true that the very same things are said of our Lord Jesus Christ? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Jesus ascended up into heaven, he's given the great commission to his disciples. He says the same words of encouragement. Behold, I am with you always. The Apostle Paul, when he is at the, almost at the end of every one of his letters, uses terminology like this. May the God of peace be with you all. The Lord be with you all. This is the fundamental principle of the covenant relationship. And Dan, you alluded to this in your, in your uh, worship just a few moments ago. But the only way that God can be with you is because you are in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith alone. And so in Romans 8, verses 31 and following, I'm just going to read the beginning what shall we say to these things? He's just explained the gospel. He's just explained faith in Christ, union with Christ. And he says, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, do you believe through your faith in Jesus Christ that God is for you? That he is with you? Do you believe in your struggles against besetting sin that God is not going to leave the work undone, but he will finish the work? Do you believe that? Because this is the point of the everlasting God. He is able to conquer all of your enemies. He is with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, let's move on. 
Abimelech may not himself be a follower of Abraham's God, but he knows enough to know that he does not want to tick Abraham or Abraham's God off. Verse 23, he says, Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants, with my posterity, as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, very simply, I swear. Now, of course, this would not, maybe not even be, have been necessary if Abraham hadn't lied before, right? But the oath is there because of previous failures, Abimelech wants assurance that God, that Abraham will not rise up against him. And Abraham is willing to swear an oath to Abimelech. And this oath will not only bind Abraham, but it will bind all of Abraham's descendants after him. Pretty amazing. In fact, we will see later on in Genesis 26, in the life of Isaac, we will see the same relationship rise up again in his generation. And there'll be another Abimelech. It'll probably be the son of this Abimelech or maybe his grandson. But, but the same thing is going on. And the same issues of wells will be taking place there. All this comes back again. Because this is an ongoing covenant relationship. Now, verses 25 and 26 are, seem to me a little bit out of place almost. Abraham reproves Abimelech about a well of water. And you're like, wait a minute, they haven't even finished talking about the oath, and then there's like a reproof. So the question is, and this is just bare details, but maybe this is an incident after that they've put into the story, or maybe it's one that was already occurring that they just insert here. But either way, the idea is that the relationship between Abraham and Abimelech is reversed from the last time. In the last time, it's Abimelech reproving Abraham. In this situation, Abraham is reproving Abimelech. So, think about this. Abimelech's character is static. Because he's not in covenant relationship with God. Abraham's character is changing. It's dynamic. Because God is working to make Abraham more like himself. Abraham is moving, he's not completely there yet, but he is moving from being a faithless man to becoming a faithful man by the grace of God. Verse 27, Abraham takes sheep and oxen and gives them to Abimelech and the two men made a covenant. This is just a general uh, statement of the covenant relationship that's going on. I find it interesting that Commentaries are exact opposite on who has the priority of, in the covenant relationship. Some commentaries think that because Abraham gives the, the, the uh, animals that he's the lesser party, and then the other commentaries turn around, no, because he gives the animals, he's the greater party. You can fight that out later. I don't know. Um, all I know is that uh, uh, in chapter 20, Abimelech gives the gifts to Abraham. Here, Abraham is giving the gifts to Abimelech. So it's... It, Again, this role reversal that's taking place. But then, after these initial gifts, Abraham does something that doesn't make sense to Abimelech in verse 28. He sets these seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. Abimelech says to Abraham, what is the meaning of this? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why are you doing this? 
And, and basically, Abraham says, these lambs are my statement that I will, that I dug this well, and it, I have rights to this well. Okay? And, uh, and the fact that then Abimelech receives these lambs is a statement, we agree that you own this well. Now, you think about God moving slow again. So God has promised to Abraham the entire land. It all belongs to him, right? And what does God start out by giving Abraham? The first thing he gives him is a well. That's it. That's about all he owns in his life in the promised land. That is a slow-moving fulfillment of a promise. But it's true. It's what's happening, okay? I'll be more on that in a minute. Um. Ah, there's reasons for the ewe lambs. Possibly they're more valuable. Uh, lots of things going on. But the fact that there are seven of them is very important. There's a symbolic meaning in the seven as it's enduring truthfulness. Uh, it's a sim- symbol of the enduring truthfulness of Abraham. Um, this place is called Beersheba. And Beersheba could mean well of the oath or it could be well of the seven lambs or seven ewes or whatever. So it could be either one of those. If you read through this passage, the number seven is everywhere emphasized. The names of Abraham and Abimelech both occur seven times, each in the story. Uh, Abraham takes seven ewe lambs, the meaning of Beersheba is well of seven. Seven is an important thing. And it's all about the faithfulness of your word that it is true. Okay, that's what's going on. And so here's, the, here's an application that I would just kind of bring to you guys today. God is supremely faithful to his covenant oaths. One of the primary ways in which we as God's people reflect who our God is is by keeping our promises, being faithful to our word. Now, we're not saying that every Christian will be perfect in this, and, you know, but, but you should think, oh, how can I display to a watching world, an unbelieving world, who my God is? Keep your word to the unbelieving world. It's just that simple. I mean, Abraham gets into this trouble because he's not faithful. So, you know, but he's, by the grace of God, reflecting God's character, and so he's learning how important it is to speak his word and then to keep it. That's just the way it is. Okay? So at the end of all this, um, well, let me just read Colossians as an application. Uh, Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We always talk about that evangelism. I would just say part of it, at least a part of it, is just keep your word to those outside of the church. It's very simple. Okay, so um, Abimelech and Phicol, they're happy. They leave. Gone. And that's seemingly the end of the story. Except in verse 33, Abraham plants a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there calls on the name of the everlasting God. And that's the key to this. This is how you understand what just happened in all this, this encounter. This is what focuses us on the meanings for today.
Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. I don't care what that looks like, what kind of tree. Our days we might say an oak tree. Um, but he, some kind of a tree he plants there. Because he wants to remember that God keeps his oaths. He is the everlasting God and he will fulfill all of his promises. Our God is not the God of the quick fix. Isaac is surely a sign to Abraham of God's enduring faithfulness, but Isaac is not the completion of that faithfulness. Abraham will go to his grave not receiving the promises of God. In fact, not only will he go to his grave and it gets fulfilled in the next generation after him, it will take thousands of years before Jesus comes. And even after Jesus has died and risen from the dead and goes up to heaven, we're working on over 2,000 years again, waiting on God to fulfill all of his promises. The faithfulness of God is not limited to your lifespan. It's not really about how much blessing God can give you in your short life. God's blessings are eternal because he is the everlasting God. As a pastor, when I meet with people and their lives seem to be so just twisted, I have sometimes no idea how to help them out of that. But you know what I say to them? He will help you in this life. He will, he will help you take steps of growth in this life. And he will bless you along the way. And he can, he can help you in this situation. But just think of the day when you see him face to face and it is all unraveled and it is absolutely perfect and it is an enduring solution that will never end. That's where your hope is. You see, I want him to just fix it now. I want this problem taken care of because this is what will make me happy in the moment. I've taken the everlasting God and I've said, be the God of the quick fix. Remember, God is faithful to all of his promises. Not one of them will fall. The blessings that you receive in this life right now are just a foretaste. And often he will take the best things that you have in this life and he'll ask you to give them up at some time in this life. Because he wants you to trust in him as the everlasting God. We are not called... To fix our eyes on quick fixes. Now our last song here is going to be turn your eyes on Jesus, right? We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the everlasting God. He's promised to be with you forever. He will never leave you. He is with you to the end of the age. And all of your hopes are fixed on Him and Him alone. Now just to be fair, God is not indifferent to your present problems. He loves to help you. He loves to give you your daily bread. He does do that. And I think the fact that Abraham sojourns many days in the land of the Philistines is like this breath of fresh air. He's over 100 years old. His wife's 90. He's got a young kid of three years old. And God says, you know what? 
because of this covenant that you've just made with Abimelech, uh, you will have relative peace. And so for the first time in 28 years, Abraham is not on the, on the run. He's stuck in this land. It's kind of like a little retirement for him. He's finally resting a little bit. So God is not indifferent to your daily struggles, but just remember that your ultimate hopes for his fulfillment are eternal ones. They're not just a quick fix. So here's your three applications. Because your God is faithful to his promises to you, keep your word to those around you. Secondly, because your God is the everlasting God, remember that he is not the God of a quick fix. And thirdly, because you are trusting Jesus Christ in his righteousness alone, remember that your God is with you and for you. Amen.